0: Welcome to The Life of Christ, Series 3, Term 2, this is Lesson 13. We're going to pick up, it's page 18 in my book, I'm not sure if it's the same in yours, good? Okay, and um, remember we are talking about, um, well we are in in the middle of uh, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. Okay, and we were talking about worship and... We spoke about this last week um, in John 4.23, when Jesus said, remember she said, where is it right to worship God? And Jesus said, neither this mountain nor nor in Jerusalem. And he says, the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Now, we finished uh, at the place where I made this particular statement, the central reality in worship is not that we are seeking God, but that He is seeking us. And um, Ark and Hughes says, this is a totally Christian idea. The Jew never thought of God this way. After all, as Leon Morris points out, He is a God of love, a God who seeks the best for people, and therefore a God who actively seeks them out. And now following this, we come to John 4.24, where Jesus says, now this is... This is so important and the reason why I didn't really want to get into it. We had a little bit more time last week, but I really didn't want to get into this then. He's going to introduce an idea now that is key. This is essential to our approaching God. Okay, And he says here, God is spirit. Literally, completely spiritual in his essence is God. That's what that actually says. Alright, so the, the translator said God is spirit. But when you actually look at it, what he's saying is completely spiritual in his essence is God. Now I want you to think about that. Completely spiritual in his essence is God. Completely spiritual in his essence. Okay, because this is so important that we get a hold of this. Because a lot of the time man loves to make rules based on the natural realm. You know, how we do this and how we do that. And it's all very ritualistic. Which is why Jesus said all of your rituals, your traditions, all the things that you're doing are causing a separation between you and God. Amen? Are are you getting this? And and so, while people are constantly criticizing, you know, how people dress or how people... Just outward things. In some places, wearing nothing is... that's just the way it is. That's right. do that here, and you get you get arrested for indecent exposure. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say, okay, so again, see we we come back to Because then then we we start to haggle about well what's right and what's not, and you know what what's acceptable and what's not see and, and Jesus is about to tell this is what Jesus is bringing out now, okay he is saying, listen, all of that stuff and and understand something in different areas, okay. In different cultures, you need to be aware of what is right and what's not in that culture. Yep. And you need to, you know, go along with what they're doing. Okay, you need to obey their rules and so on. You can't say, well, in my culture, I don't... It, it doesn't matter, you're not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're somewhere else. So in that sense, but don't bring that into God's house. This is what the whole Corinthian situation was about. Alright, and when, we, when I was doing the series on um, Created Equally to Rule Equally, that was really the, the whole point of what that was about. When, when people have sort of taken a cultural thing that Paul was dealing with, which he said, we don't have this thing in our church. But they all missed that. And they go right past it and, and enforce laws about well, this is what it need. This is how it's meant to be, and, and this is what he was talking about. And he wasn't. He was just saying, listen, if this is a problem to you, well, then this is the thing. You know, here are some guidelines to help you with that. They were not rules and laws because Jesus is telling us something here that he's he's saying that God is essential. Watch again. Completely spiritual in his essence is God. That's what he's he's trying to say you have an issue with what mountain we worship in and all that stuff, God doesn't care. Okay? While you have issues with it, He never did. Which tells us something. All the issues the Jews were having, He didn't care. He didn't care whether they built it in Jerusalem or Timbuktu. (laughs) Do you understand? What would have mattered? The people's heart. In their worship of Him. That is what mattered. That's all that has ever mattered. Amen? Alright, so let's move through this slowly. So He says here again, God is spirit, or completely spiritual in His essence is God. Therefore, He is not a stone deity or a tree deity. Neither is He a mountain deity, here. okay? So that He has to be worshipped on this or that specific mountain. Get it? He's an independent, incorporeal, means he doesn't have flesh like us, okay? Personal being. Alright? And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Must worship in spirit and truth. Now, you know, when Jesus says must, you know, okay, we need to pay attention. Amen? Amen? John MacArthur writes, This verse represents the classical statement on the nature of God as spirit. The phrase means that God is invisible, okay, as opposed to the physical or material nature of man. The word order of this phrase puts an emphasis on spirit. And the statement is essentially emphatic, okay, it's emphasizing something, all right? Man could never comprehend the invisible god unless he revealed himself as he did in scripture and the incarnation so what he's saying here is this if god didn't decide to tell us what He was like we would never find out okay there is absolutely no way we would work out what god was like unless he decided to let us know because we are corporeal he is spiritual You see, this is what we're trying to say now. Alright, He is in a whole other realm to us. Get it? Okay. So if He didn't decide to reveal Himself to us, there would be no way we could take instruments of any kind and measure, and say, well, God is love, or God is this, or God... We would just not know. It would be beyond our experience, beyond our ability to... Uh, measure or determine his nature in any way or form. Just the only thing we could do, Romans tells us, is that we could look at nature and get some idea of what God is like. But nature isn't God. Amen. You see, somebody made you know the automobile you drove you drove in today. Now that is a creation of the person, but that still you can get an idea of what the person was like that came up with the idea. But the car isn't the person. Yes. No. Understand? You get some idea of what, how the person thinks, but you have no idea of whether he's got a, you know, a wife or kids or a dog. Or You have no idea? You don't know whether he, what country he lives in. You don't know anything. Unless you Googled it. (laughs) But given all things being equal and you can't do that, just looking at the creation, you would not know what the Creator was like. You have an idea, but it would be nowhere close to what He really is. Added to this, Leon Morris says, Notice the word must. Jesus is not speaking of a merely desirable element in worship. He is speaking of something that is absolutely necessary. God is the living God. He is ceaseless uh, ceaselessly active as the life-giving spirit, okay? And he must be worshipped in a manner befitting such a spirit. Now, because God is life-giving, okay? Our worship cannot be dead. Did you get that? You know there's a lot of people that are just going on Dead worship doesn't mean it's not lively, okay? It just, there's no heart in it. You can clap your hands and you can have a good time in the flesh and still, your heart's not in it. That's right. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, alright, let's move on. I don't want to spend too much time in this. As long as you're getting these, let me me move on. Alright, so... Where are we? People cannot dictate, listen now, people cannot dictate the how or the where of worship. They must come only in the way that the Spirit of God opens for them. Okay, remember, the the woman was asking, where is it right? We can't dictate where it's right, only God can say. And you know what? Well, we'll get to that. Let's move on. D.A. Carson points out that the prophets spoke of a time when worship would no longer be focused on a single central sanctuary. When the earth would be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And where the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Okay? One more quote before I talk to you. Finally, in his commentary, William MacDonald says that God is an invisible person. Who is present in all places at one time and the same time. Who is all-knowing and who is all-powerful. He is perfect in all His ways. Therefore, those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. There must be no sham or hypocrisy. There must be no pretense to being religious. When inwardly one's life is corrupt. And finally, there must be no idea that in going through a series of rituals, God is thereby pleased, even if God instituted those rituals Himself. Okay, so even if God tells you to do things a certain way, if you're just doing it out of a ritual, there's no heart in what you are doing, even then, even though you're doing the right thing, your heart isn't in it, not, God doesn't receive your worship. There is no worship to be received. You you understand what I'm saying? Now, let let me go back to some of these things. Notice it says here that God is present in all places at one, excuse me, present in all places at one and the same time, okay? Which means He's there. This is the reason why Jesus said it doesn't matter where you worship God. He is everywhere, okay? First thing. Because what what a lot of times people do is say, oh, well, God is in our church. He's not in your church. (laughs) Excuse me. Okay, all right. he, he may be standing outside your church, but he's still at your church. He's knocking, trying to get in, <laughs> every Sunday. Okay? But he's everywhere. Okay, understand that. Now, <laughs> just reminded me of a story, that's why. Alright, so, notice again, he says here, he's also perfect in all of his ways. Now, this, this is a key thing. Are we perfect in all of our ways? Okay, we're not, okay? We're, we're moving towards it, but we are far from it. Okay. But you need to understand something. He is perfect. And even though we are not, he still receives our worship. In all of our imperfection, do you know what he's looking for? It's not the—it's not a perfect worship. It's a heart that is right before him. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I want to bring some of these things up. I want to uh, contrast some of these things because what happens sometimes is we come in and we feel guilty because we've done something we shouldn't have done, or we've been mean to somebody, or it's, you know, we've just we, we we come in with baggage. Can I say that? Okay, and then you come into the presence of God, and there is a perfect God, and you have this idea that He's got His arms folded, and is looking at you and going, well, you knew better. Okay, and so Pastor Emily here is, is, is trying to lead praise and worship, and there you are with this picture in your head. <laughs> and you're thinking, yeah, no, God, and... Now she's thinking, what am I doing wrong? I know that person is, is, just, is just hanging back and just not doing what they're meant to do. And you know I'm trying to draw them into worship and they're just kind of like, it, it's not happening for them. And so regardless of what she does, because something is happening in your mind, in your psyche, because you're looking at it and thinking, you've got to be perfect to worship God. Okay? No, that's not what you need to be. You need to be transparent. You need to say, You know, God, you already know, and I'm so embarrassed and I'm so sorry, but you are a God that forgives and cleanses and forgets. Yeah. Amen? That last bit's really important. Okay? So he doesn't carry it. So while you're worshiping him, after you have confessed your sin, after you've said, I'm sorry, that's all you need to do, okay? You don't have to get all religious about it. Just say, Sorry, God. Okay? He gets it. All right? The next thing you do is, like, don't have the thought, because the devil will, will work with this now. He'll go, oh yeah, but God's still looking at you going, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. So you're worshipping now and wait till you get to the car park. You haven't changed. This is all just a pretense. Be careful, because what he is trying to do is hold you in that place. Where God is trying to release you from that place. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Because if he can release you from that place, then you won't go do the same thing again. But if you think you'll never change, then you won't. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that's the ladies too. Okay, it's so important that you understand that what is going on on the inside of you, you need to make a determination that when you ask God for forgiveness, you move on. So even in, especially, now we're talking about worshipping God, okay? To worship God in spirit and in truth. You need to understand that He is spirit. That all of this stuff down here doesn't matter to Him. Not in the way it matters to you. Okay? That He is looking for you to love Him, to worship Him, to honor Him with your heart. And in that place you can be strengthened. He is a life-giving God. He'll give you the life that is necessary to overcome whatever problem you're dealing with. And even though you may not overcome it straight away, there'll be enough life in there to to boost you up, to get you to a place where you're a bit better than you were before. You need to understand that sometimes it's a journey, it's not just straight away. Amen? And so, the only way you're going to embark on that journey is by taking that first step. And understand that He is, that God is Spirit. And that you do worship Him in spirit and in truth. And regardless of what your flesh and how your flesh has let you down and done all the wrong things, it's your spirit that is before Him. It is your heart that is before Him. And you can just let go of all of that. Ask for forgiveness and just let it all go and approach the throne room in spirit and in truth, not in flesh and in truth. Get it? Okay. There's a lot of um, revelation to be had in the quotes I've given you. Um, Please do spend some time going over that in your own time. and, And see how the Lord will speak to you. This is one of those scriptures that are, you know, as we go through the life of Jesus, there are some places you just need to park for a while, okay, in in your quiet time before God. I can't spend a lot of time on it. I've spent some time on this today because it was necessary. But this is nowhere close to enough time that this scripture deserves. Do you understand? Amen? So this is one of the little star things. Put it on and go back to it. Let's now move on. So returning to the conversation that Jesus is having with the woman at the well. Once again, and following his statement to her that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It goes on to say in verse 25, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Okay, now she start, the light is starting to go on. She says, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's going, oh, Wow. Didn't expect this response from the question I just asked. And she's going, you him? Is basically what she's asking. Alright, you'll see the response in a minute. So the expression Messiah, who is called Christ, is simply an explanation of the fact that these two words mean the same thing. Messiah is the Hebrew word for God's anointed one. Christ is the Greek equivalent. Okay, so they kind of put the both in there. And so William MacDonald says that as the woman of Samaria had listened to the Lord, she had been made to think of the coming Messiah. The Holy Spirit of God had stirred up within her a desire that the Messiah should come. She expressed the confidence that when He did come, He would teach all things. In this statement... She showed a very clear understanding of one of the greatest purposes of Christ's coming. Stop there for a minute. Let me give you some insight into what, has, what we've just looked at there. This is where some of the biggest problems came. You see, the Lord was to come and to teach us. In teaching us, there would be correction where we went off track. In correcting us, those that had the most to lose, would oppose that the most. Listen now, okay? So while the people heard the word and said, wow, we have never heard words like this, this is good stuff. All those that were meant to be giving that word, that weren't, started to get embarrassed, and then later angry. Because the one follows the other. Okay? Because they were and instead of being repentant and saying, Wow, we really missed it, didn't we? We are really sorry. We need to Lord teach us I'm gonna give you an insight now, this is weeks ahead, but let me give you give it to you now. Instead of them saying, You know what? Forget everything we know because obviously we are messing up everywhere. You teach us. We want to be your disciples. This is what he was waiting for. We want to be your disciples. Okay, we don't know what we're on about, obviously. You are, you are not only teaching on a level that goes well beyond what we know, but you are demonstrating that God is with you by what you do. If we know what you know, then we'll be able to do what you can do. Follow closer now. Because what is he going to do when he picks his um, apostles? He's going to give them power. Hmm. That's right. Do we, do we need to? Uh, let me see if I can do this off the cuff. Uh, nobody has a Bible, right? Let me just read something for you. Just give me one minute. Let me just get to Matthew. Matthew chapter 10, and I think it's verse 1. This is way ahead, alright? But never mind, let me just show you something. Because I, I'll, yeah. Uh, Matthew 10, 1, it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. So he went from them being disciples to apostles. When this woman spoke to him and said, I know that Messiah is coming. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Alright? He's going to reveal the truth to us. He is going to have all knowledge, basically, and He'll know where we're all going wrong. And He'll straighten us all out. That's basically what she's saying. Okay, And that is exactly what he came to do. Had the religious leaders of his time, now listen carefully. Had the religious leaders of his time repented and said, we're sorry, Lord, we have really messed up here. We got caught up in our own religion. We got caught up in our own doctrines. And we apologize. We repent. You teach us we're going to close church down you come and you teach us and you tell us what we need to teach for the next couple of weeks because you know you can't be everywhere at once and if you need to be and we just need to shut church down and go out in the desert and you know have an open space so you can preach well we'll do that forget my thing let's do your thing because we can see that you're the Messiah you're the one that was told you know all the Old Testament spoke about your coming you're here forget us you speak what do you think would happen? He would have called, not just those guys that were following him around, he would have called all the religious leaders up to him. And he would have given all of them power. Power. Get it? And he would have said, go back to your synagogue, preach this word, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, do whatever you need to do. You've got a congregation already, go do what you need to do. I don't want to take this from you. I'm here to teach you. <clears throat> His job was to teach the leadership. But because they rejected him, he had to go out. They, they want to kill him, man. And that's the reason he just thought, you know what, I need to get away from here. The people that he was meant to teach and give power to turned on him. And in turning on him, they didn't understand what they were sacrificing. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine what they would have, how they would have felt when they came to the realization that that's what he would have done? Mm-hmm. Think about this now: that he would have given them power—the very thing they were looking for, the thing that they had. They kind of had pseudo power. You know what I mean? Okay, it was like power over people because of their religiousnessnessness. <laughs> right? <laughs> Instead of power, real power. Do you understand know what I'm saying? Instead of them going to their little synagogue and, you know, here come this, you know, man with the withered hand has been coming for years. Huh? That little synagogue leader says, come on up. I got anointed by Jesus and just wiped his hand on me and boom! Hmm. He's healed and he goes, yay! And they would have all looked at the leader of the synagogue and said, wow. See, Jesus doesn't want to be recognized in that way. That's why he kept saying, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, please don't tell anybody. They already hate me, I don't need this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? His job wasn't, see, this is where then it all went wrong. I'm sorry I'm taking a bit of time here because I really want to open this out to you guys. This is where it went wrong. Where everybody looks and says, he had power because he was the son of God. And only he could do all of these things. Well, that's wrong now, isn't it? Because Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1 tells us that he gave power to everybody else to go do it. And we're going to find out that they went including Judas. (laughs) That's right. With all of his wrong motives. He would have laid hands on the sick and watched them recover. See, we, we missed that. Hmm? Which meant you didn't have to be perfect, just commissioned. Amen? All right, okay. Get this, because there's another revelation built into this. Because when we come into the New Testament, God is going to tell us, you are my sons, you are my daughters, you are ambassadors for me. You know what an ambassador is? It's an apostle. As a son and a daughter of God, you immediately have the potential to become an apostle. The potential. What you're doing right now is what, what gets you qualified for the thing. Do you understand? As you study His Word, as you learn, as you start to push out things that are irrelevant and stupid and and man-made and start focusing on this is important to God, that is important to God, all this stuff, forget about it, this is what we need to focus on. As you get to that place, God can start talking to you. And He'll go, finally. Amen? Amen? And then you can step into things without being perfect and start watching all kinds of and you know what you can say forget peter you can say if judas could do this i can do this (laughs) okay hello are you with me amen and the devil does not want you to know that no he does not want you to know that all right oh and i've run out of time okay wow this this session is going too quick Are you learning something? Are you getting something? Okay. I, I'm sorry. Some, some stuff needs, I can't teach everything. I need to preach some things. Okay. Okay. All right. This is who this woman again suspects who she's talking to. Can I read D.A. Carson? Points out that the Samaritans pictured the Tehab, their word for Messiah, as one who would reveal the truth in line with his role as the ultimate prophet. Okay, And this is who this woman suspects she may be speaking to. Because as Leon Morris explains, there are messianic prophecies in the Pentateuch and thus the Samaritans expected the Messiah. But the rejection of the rest of the Old Testament meant that their information about Him was meager. But the woman recognized His authority and looked to Him to tell people everything. All right, Th- That's why she's going to go and bring a whole town to Him. Okay? But watch, watch now. He says now, in verse 26, so let me just go to verse 25 and then go straight to verse 26. So the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Watch Jesus, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he? No, that's not what the Greek says. Watch what the Greek says. Leon Morris says, there is no he in the Greek. What Jesus actually says is this. He says, I that speak to you, I am. That's God's name. Amen? And she's like, whoa! The prophet! That's why she gets so excited. Amen? And we're going to come back and pick this up in the next session. Because, well... Now, can we finish this? Or we'll we'll introduce this because we're about to get on to our next, next part. William McDonnell William explains that in using the words, I am, he is announcing to her the startling truth that the one who was speaking to her was the Messiah for whom she had been looking and that he, also, uh, he was also God himself. Right? The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. And this woman would have understood exactly what it meant. Because it was the Pentateuch, specifically in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, where it is written, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Isn't that brilliant? Alright? What's astounding about all this is that all the people... Of all the people, Jesus actually chose to reveal his true identity to a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman. Not just a a woman, but a Samaritan. Not just a Samaritan, but a woman. You see, there's two strikes against this person already in in the eyes of a Jew. They don't want to talk to Samaritans and forget about women. But isn't it interesting that God was always looking to reveal himself? Remember what we talked about, I, I said to you before? it's not we're seeking him, he's been seeking us God so loved that he gave he came down here he took the first step amen and as as I said and, and not one of high moral standing either okay God truly does love and accept us all without exception amen so we'll stop there We'll come back. If we need to go back over that a little bit, we will. And we'll pick up in the next session from that point on. Take a break.